Welcome to Starting Points, a podcast from Faith on Hill. Starting Points is designed for anyone who is studying the Bible for the first time or people who have been studying the Bible for many years. It's an overview starting point of each book and major section of the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. Today we're going to look at the books of First and Second Kings. Now normally, when we look at a book in the Bible, we go one book or one section at a time. But the, the reality is, is that in the uh, original writing, it would have been the book of the kings. And it was later divided in two, uh, probably both originally just to make scrolls more manageable, uh, but then later on just to make reading more manageable. As first and second Samuel were probably just the book of Samuel. First and second Kings were just the book of the kings. The minor prophets were just one book. They were the writings of the prophets. Um, and so these books have been later subdivided um, to get us to the 66 book mark. But it, it seemed better to just go over first and second Kings together because they tell one larger story. Now, traditionally... The prophet Jeremiah was ascribed as the author of the book of the Kings. Really, it would be probably better to say editor. It's most likely that he uh, took earlier sources, histories, works of scribes and, and scholars and compiled it with a mixture of that and oral tradition with, in, into the book of the Kings. And what the story is telling, and it makes sense that it was written by somebody like Jeremiah, because it was telling the story of how they got to the point where the Babylonians were at the gate. The northern kingdom of Israel had already fallen to the Assyrians, and now the Babylonians were at the gate of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah had been warning the people, repent, turn from your sin, turn back to God, or else we will be destroyed. They didn't listen. First uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 8, is, is very indicative uh, that that it was written prior to the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian conquest uh, because there are things that are talked about and they said this is still how we're doing it to this day that ended at the Babylonian conquest. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant is mentioned and it was still something that the original readers would have seen, read, and, and interacted with in their world. That was gone by the time of the Babylonian conquest. Modern scholarship tends to just say uh, it, was, it was put together by the prophets. Sometimes, I'm, I'm mixed when it comes to modern scholarship in the Bible, especially about when, when they attribute who wrote a book or when it was written. Sometimes, I think we do have a better sense of things than, say, uh, the rabbis in 2nd century B.C. or um, translators in 4th century A.D. I, I, sometimes we do have a better sense of these things. A lot of times, though, it feels like somebody just needs to write a book and so then they come up with their new, well, it wasn't Jeremiah. It was a collection of prophets because that's what they need to write the book. It doesn't really matter. The bigger thing is the story it tells. It tells this outline. First Kings chapters 1 and 2 is the death of David. First Kings 
chapters 3 through 11 is the glory of Solomon's reign. Uh, and then, you know, Sol- and, and within chapters 3 through 11, you know, Solomon prays that pray- famous prayer for wisdom. Uh, he builds the temple. Uh, he accomplishes things, but then he dies in shame in chapter 11. And then 1 Kings 12 through 2 Kings 16 is about the division of the kingdom. Israel goes from being one nation to being two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Judah was the dominant tribe, but the southern kingdom also included the tribe of Simeon, which was incredibly small, and the tribe of Benjamin, which was also very small. And a good number of Levites also came down. In fact, the majority of the Levites, many think, came down because the northern kingdom of Israel turned to pagan idolatry. And so they came down south to the kingdom of Judah where the temple was, where the ark was, and where people were still worshiping the true God. Uh, then after chapter 16 of 2 Kings, uh, it goes into the captivity of Israel by the Assyrians. That's chapter 17. And then the decline of the southern kingdom of Judah and its captivity by Babylon, 2 Kings 18 through 25. So that's the big kind of overarching story of these two books is, is the, you know, the death of David and, and the reign of his son Solomon, and then the slow, gradual decline of Israel, the division of Israel, the destruction of Israel. We always ask on this podcast what the human story is. J. Vernon McGee, who's one of my favorite Bible commentators, says this. Repeated nine times in First Kings is this statement, as his father David, speaking of the kings of Israel and Judah, and as his father David did. And it is this standard of the kingdom. All the kings are compared to King David. It was a human standard, but men failed to attain even that. So that's J. Vernon McGee. He's a fantastic Bible commentator. He says there's a human standard, but the kings failed to even attain that in comparison with the standard of God. What hope do we have to attain to the standards of God when we can't even attain to human standards? At the same time, I love what David Guzik, who is my favorite living Bible commentator, he's one of my favorite Bible commentators in general, but of all the ones living, he's my favorite. And he says, our destiny is not determined by our ancestors, but by our current relationship with God. And what he means, and he's speaking of First and Second Kings when he wrote that, what he means by that is this. We usually say, like, our, our destiny is not determined by our past or our ancestors. Or in ancient times, you know, when they thought the stars ruled their destiny, he says, you know, the stars will not determine my destiny. And we usually think of that in a positive sense, that it doesn't matter where I've come from, I can achieve great things. But there's a flip side to that coin. And what David Guzik is saying is, is here's King David, not perfect, had all kinds of problems. You can listen to our 20-minute Bible study podcast as we're going through the life of David in 2 Samuel, and you're going to see this guy did not do everything right. And yet, he was somebody who wanted God. He was after God's heart. He, he was committed even when he screwed up, even when he went astray. He always came back to God. And, he, and you could say, oh, our ancestor's King David. Moses was our ancestor. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or our, our forefathers. We have so much pride in this. And people still do this, right? We have the apostles as our heritage. We have, you know, Martin Luther or John Calvin or John Wesley or 
Jack Hayford or Chuck Swindoll or Chuck Smith or Rick Warren or whoever. You can just start naming famous Christians and, and say, these are our heritage. What does it matter? What does it matter what church we grew up in if our own relationship with God is not real, is not strong? Now, interesting, uh, when you look through the histories in, in both First and Second Kings, almost all of the kings listed are bad. And some are just downright evil. And yet God is incredibly patient in dealing with them. It's also interesting that the names of the mothers of both the good and the bad kings are given in a culture that did not value women. Why do the mothers matter? Well, it matters for this reason. The kings of Israel were polygamous. And and that's one of the things, when you get to the Gospels in the book of Acts, the, the, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the Sadducees, the scholars, they were all incredibly proud of their heritage. And I'm a very pro-Jewish person, so this is not me ragging on Jews. Hear me out what I'm saying here. In fact, I've spent a lot of time preaching against anti-Semitism. So hear me out what I'm saying here. This isn't about Jewish people. It's about all people that put too much stock in their past. Because they said, oh, you know, we have these forefathers. We have this great heritage. And then Stephen, the first Christian martyr, who himself was Jewish, said, which one of the prophets did our forefathers not kill? And what he means by that is we can boast and we can look around, but you know what? The honest truth was that the polygamous kings of Israel were incredibly immoral sexually. And they did not do the things that God told them to do, and they did the things that God told them not to do, the good and the bad. And the reason the mothers have to be listed is because just because they are the son of this king or the grandson of David or Solomon, you have to know from which branch. It wasn't that David had a wife and then they had kids and then, you know, going forward. You have to know which one of the wives that branch came from. Interestingly enough, both Jesus' mother, Mary, and his earthly foster father, Joseph, were of the line of David. Yet Joseph was from a line of David that God said, your descendants will never sit on the throne. There will always be a descendant of David on the throne, but not from this line. And so Joseph, if Jesus had been the earthly son of Joseph, he couldn't claim the kingship of Israel from that line. Mary, on the other hand, was from one of the lines that God said, yep, that's fine. And, and it's from that line that, uh, you know, we're, we'll go through and see, oh, you know, that's where Jesus comes from. But the mothers have to be listed for that reason. So, you know, which wife of which king or which concubine of which king the, the current king came from. And God has grace and he sends revival. And the king and the people turn to him. God has grace and he changes things. And it actually, because of that, it delayed the captivities of Israel and Judah, and and specifically Judah, for much longer. But they couldn't keep it together. A wicked king could have a godly son. A good king could have a wicked son. And as I said earlier, you know, it ultimately led to the division of the nation, and it led to the coming destruction of, of the people by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, one of the questions that we ask is, what are the landmines? What are the hot-button issues in the book? And First and Second Kings aren't particularly controversial books. They have the same things that are in many of the other Old Testament books. Uh, there's idolatry. There's human failure. Um, there's a lot of stuff that might get labeled as that, the mean, angry God of the Old Testament. You know, the Bible has two gods, some people say. 
There's the, the sweet, loving, nice God of the New Testament. There's the mean, angry God of the Old Testament. Totally missing the grace of God that even though Israel turned from God and embraced idolatry and immorality and their kings were wicked, God had mercy and patience and would bring them back to him as much as he could. Somebody might say, where is Jesus seen? That's the final and most important question we ask on every episode. I like what uh, Paul David Tripp said. He said, when you get to 1 Kings where God says, I do this for the sake of my servant David, Paul Tripp says, think about that. For my servant David. What is he saying? God is saying, I am committed to the promise I made to David that out of him would come a kingdom that would never end and a king that would be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and I have not abandoned my promise. I'm going to remain faithful to these unfaithful people. And what that is saying to me is this. God is faithful to his promises. Want to know one of the reasons I am very pro-Israel and very pro-Jewish, even though the nation of Israel is a secular nation that doesn't do good things all the time? It's because I believe fully that God has not abandoned his promises to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people. And those promises will be fulfilled before the end of, of time. I also believe fully that God has made promises to the church and those promises will be fulfilled. Even though right now we're in the middle of the mess, right now we're looking around going, when is this all going to happen? We are working to the place of fulfillment. When Jesus returns and he fulfills his promises to Israel, when Jesus takes those who are living before the judgment of God and removes us, what's called the rapture, and we are there with the Lord and we rejoice in his presence, we will see it fulfilled even though the times that we have been unfaithful, the times that we have not done as we should, yet because God has proven over and over again that he will be faithful to those he has made promises to. And he has made promises to you and to me. And that promise is Jesus Christ. Our salvation is through him. The love of God is through him. And you may be distant. You may feel far off. Know that God's promises to you of his love and the power of Jesus' resurrection have not become void and vain. Wherever you are, God can and will bring you back to him. And if you are praying for somebody to have that happen, remember the story of First and Second Kings, that no matter how many times the people went astray, God was trying to bring them back. And we can rest in that promise from the word of God. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the Starting Points podcast. New episodes are released on Spotify and Apple Podcasts in audio format. Video versions are on our Facebook page. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on Facebook and Instagram. We meet on Sunday mornings as a church where we're currently studying the book of Job. We meet throughout the week on, at small groups, and you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com to find out when they're meeting and what they're all about. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the Starting Points Podcast.